Good morning. Can you hear me? It's my first time at the mic up here this morning. So let us just pray for the preach word. And first, before I do that, good morning. Good and gracious God, we thank you for uh, being in this space and tearing with us this morning. We ask, oh God, that you would have your spirit move in us in a special way on this special Sunday. Oh God, your spirit moves in all times. We ask, oh God, that you would hide me, your servant, behind the cross so that your word might come through with power and with conviction. We ask it all in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today is Middle Passage Sunday at Old South Church, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, moving forward by looking back. Moving forward by looking back. Now, between the years of 18, 1525 and 1866, about 12.5 million African people were shipped to the shores of America. About 10 million of those people survived the Middle Passage. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be snatched from your home and shackled and chained and put into the bottom of a ship for 30 to 90 days not knowing your fate. Can you imagine being on a ship named Faith, our precious Jesus, our amazing grace, our God, our Redeemer? Historian John Herrick Clark said this, if the Atlantic were to dry up, it would reveal a scattered pathway of human bones, African bones, marking the various routes of the Middle Passage. The, the Middle Passage was not merely a symbol or a historical artifact that might be boiled down to numbers on a profit and loss statement or on an Excel spreadsheet. No, this was about real people like you and I, who were made in the very image of God. People wrapped in beautiful black skin with beautiful bodies and souls that felt pain. They were people who came from a highly evolved culture. They had families, like many of us, who loved them. Stolen, captured, sold into bondage as commodities. Our African ancestors move from freedom to slavery just like that. This genocide was sanctioned not only by the state but by the church and it flourished for too long. And it is with the labor of enslaved African people that fueled our economic growth of this country and built America. We today, with others around the world, are called together to name, to honor, and to remember our ancestors who survived this horrific genocide and their descendants. More specifically, we at Old South pause to remember our early members of African descent. Some were enslaved and some were free. 
of this church who were adopted and baptized into the household of faith. To be baptized into the household of faith means that there are no, no males or females, there's no black or white. We are all one in Christ. However, they were baptized but they were denied the full rights and the privilege of Christian membership. They were only allowed to sit in the pews or the galleries, galleys designated for enslaved members. And in death, we believe that many were buried in unmarked graves. So now we find ourselves in a time of racial reckoning and our archivist continues to uncover lost stories, learning more complete stories about this community. We now know that seven of the 28 founding families were enslavers. Four of our first eight ministers were enslavers. Complicity. But with the grace of God today, we lift up the resiliency and the accomplishment of our African sisters and brothers who persisted with courage and faith despite racialized terror and hatred of the past. This past April, I had another opportunity to lead a truth and reconciliation pilgrimage with pastors from Dallas, Texas. I've let these things in the past and some of you have been on them. This time we visited Tennessee and Alabama, connecting the history of the struggle for African-American freedom and justice and equality. The purpose of this pilgrimage, these pilgrimages, are to acknowledge the living legacy of white supremacy in this country and to become aware of the racial trauma that lingers in all of our bodies. Can I get an amen? Okay, I mean, this trauma lingers not in our bodies, it lingers in our hearts and it lingers in our minds. The hope in these pilgrimage times is that it will create a path for healing and racial reconciliation. The hope is that those paths will be opened up. One of the most moving moments of the pilgrimage for me this time was to walk over the Edmund Pattis, Pattis Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and to do it in silence. I've done it other times, but um, as I said before, I had groups of people chattering. You know what that's like when you're trying to do something spiritual? and folk around you are talking. They got that kind of energy. So I was able to steal away into a little silence so I could hear that still speaking voice of God and to pay attention to what was going on around me because I know there was a mighty cloud of witnesses who have walked that bridge before that were walking with me. You see, that bridge was the site of Bloody Sunday and subsequent marches for the voter rights work of 1965 and the bill that was passed for voter rights in 1965. As I went on that bridge, I could imagine, I could imagine Dr. King on that bridge. I could imagine Amelia Boynton Robinson, who was the, the woman that you see in that iconic picture laying at the bottom of that bridge with the first attempt to get over the bridge. 
I can imagine those four little girls, and I was about the age of those little girls, that were killed as they went to Sunday school in Birmingham, Alabama. I can remember and think and I could feel the yoke of segregation and the tyranny of Jim Crow as I walked that bridge. And then I remember the words of Abraham Herschel, who walked that bridge with Dr. King. And the rabbi said this, I felt like my feet were praying. I felt like my feet were praying. And oh yes, my feet were praying and I was thanking God for all of the foot soldiers who sacrificed their lives and opened doors of opportunities for people that look like me and other people who are wrapped in brown skin. And I prayed, I prayed mightily for the strength to continue in the struggle for the liberation of all of God's people. And I prayed for the future as we have continued to see the rise of Christian nationalism. And as we know, as I know, and as I witness neo-Nazi groups like the mass men who showed up in Jamaica Plain a few months ago from NSC-131 on the list of the FBI, members of the hate groups, as they chanted homophobic rhetoric and hate not too long ago. But today, on the other side of the bridge, and if you've been there, you will notice a large stone, a very large stone that have the words it was so wonderfully read this morning from the book of Joshua. And the words simply say, when your children shall ask you in the time to come, saying, what mean these 12 stones? You shall tell them how you made it over. That modern-day stone is a great connection around how the Israelites crossed over into the Promised Land after 40 years and the significance of the Selma to Montgomery march and the struggle for American democracy and human rights. The beautiful stone acknowledges not only the injustices and the injuries of the past, but it's so wonderfully a reminder of how we made it over and how we celebrate a victory. But what I don't want you to miss in talking about the stone and the victory are the words that are etched on the stone. And the stone, I'm going to take some liberty and interpret what the stone says for 2021. Amen. It says, teach the children when they ask. Tell them the story. Teach the children when they ask. Tell them the story. When your children shall ask you in the time to come, saying, what means these 12 stones? You should tell them how you got over. What are we telling our children today? What are we saying about racial hierarchy? microaggressions? What are we saying about prejudice? What are we saying about mass people marching into our communities? What do we tell the children and what will we 
tell the children? Will we tell the children that we made it over into the promised land of freedom? Is, are we the generation for that? We pray, we ask for God's kingdom to come on earth. That sounds like promised land to me. What are we teaching our children? When we look at every social indicator, we know, we know, in the words of Brian Stevenson, that slavery didn't end in 1865, it just continues. And nevertheless, God calls us to be free. God calls us deeply to be beloved and to flourish. The Middle Passage and the enslavement of our African sisters and brothers continues to haunt and to hem us in. A young friend of mine who's been doing diversity work for many, 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 many years on a personal, interpersonal, and a systems level, she's been working to try to transform systems and structures that are racist into systems that are more humane and compassionate and justice-oriented and loving and caring. And she said out of frustration, and maybe you've said these words too, I feel like the harder that I try, there is no escaping from this thing called racism. I feel like we're all caught up in a spider's web. And the more you try to get out, the more stuck you become. When we have talks about criminal justice and police reform, stuck. When we talk about civil rights and voting rights and justice, stuck. When we talk about relationships between brown and white and black and yellow people with this beautiful skin, stuck. When we talk about unremitting cycles of poverty, stuck. It seems like the more we talk, the more we get tangled up in a spider's web. Can I get an amen? But many traditions, including our own, have long since this, based on data of human experience, lived experience, that the past is with us in the present. If the past is not acknowledged, confronted, faced, and dealt with, ignorance is darkness in this context and sin and evil of the past will just pass to the next generation. What are we telling the children? What is our story? It's sort of like we have this national DNA. And the truth is the trade and the middle passage hurt and harmed people that look like me and people that look like my colleague, perhaps. Those who have been enslaved and perhaps those who might have enslaved others. You see, we're all tied up in this thing. It's like a ball, an inescapable spider's web, a spider's web that destroys humanity and the dignity of us all. But I'm here this morning to bring some good news. Some good news, my friends. You know, we don't need to be a slave to our fate. Our faith teaches us some important things that we need to remember. Number one, our faith teaches us that we must not simply want to change things as a matter of course and change structures. Rather, we must need to learn from the past. 
I call those strategies rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. You heard that one? It's sort of like trying to ignore the toothpaste that's come out of the, the tube. And you try to get it back in, the, but the more you try to get it back in, the more a mess you make. Our faith tradition tells us that we have to look back and learn from the past. We have to learn, and then once we learn, we need to repent. If we call racism a sin, well, sin is something you repent from, amen? We can do more than just rearrange the chairs on the deck of the Titanic, because that gets tiring after a while, and it doesn't work. We don't need to wallow in the past, but we just need to learn from it, the good, the bad, the ugly. We need to do some truth-telling, and then we need to turn from the dark past into new possibilities, having learned from the past. Well, you ask, how do you do that? How do you do that? My Christian friends, this is what we do. We join hands. We join hands. I believe that the healing power of God's redemptive love calls us to the possibility of healing. You see, with God, there is nothing that is impossible. So together we can turn to new possibilities in life and we can learn how to live together, do the healing work that's so desperately needed. This healing work looks like the faith of justice, dignity, humanity. The healing work looks like the face of love. Now, if you believe that God, who beautifully creates stars, God, who beautifully creates the sun and the moon and is able to divide the day and the night, if God can create something as beautiful as a star, God created our hearts. And this God who creates our hearts does it in a way that makes our heart long, long for one another, long for healing, long for God's grace and God's touch. And that is the way we, my friends, build the future. We turn from the past, we learn from the past, and then we hold hands and we practice the art of possibility and love. This is our hope. This is our future. This is our only way through Christ. And to honor our African ancestors today and to honor God, this is the way we do it. God loves you. Amen.